0: Pat Mayo Pat Mayo Pat Mayo experience. Experience. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience presented by DraftKings 2021 week 8 fantasy football rankings breakdown by position stardom, sit em, the debate. We got it all for you. Hit the description if you want to jump to any particular position if you're looking for the rankings list. They are also down in the description. Remember to smash the like button to the episode. And please subscribe to Mayo Media Network on YouTube. We're still in the push for 30,000 subs. I thought we'd be there by now, but apparently October hits and it's like, woo, we flatline in terms of new subs. We need to get up to 30K. Let's go, okay? Thank you very much if you haven't done it. And thank you already if you have already done it. The listeners league link for DraftKit is now live didn't fill by 18 people last week they threatened to make it smaller i said no give us another week so reserve your spot right now 15 dollars to play three max entry no rake thus making it The best tournament on DraftKings. Link in the description. Shockingly enough, as is the newsletter link where if you want to get the spread pick show early on a Tuesday night, plus all of the other game info and research for the week, go subscribe to that right now. Jake Seeley from TheAthletic.com is on the line as he is every single Tuesday afternoon. What's happening, my man?
1: What's going on? Uh, yeah, I almost did your show in my, ho- or I had my Halloween costume for my show. It was Gizmo Duck from DuckTales, but I couldn't do another hour of trying to look through that mask, so sorry you don't get to see it.
0: Well, that's tough. I mean, is this, is how this ha- I guess this would be Halloween week, wouldn't it? I didn't even think about that. I had planned everything for yeah, next Yeah, because it's Sunday. Week. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, that really throws a wrench in my plans. It does, because if you do anything Monday or Tuesday, it's late.
0: Yeah, it's just weird at that point. Huh. Well, now I don't know what to do. I have another show to film later today. I don't have a costume. I have to wear one of my kids' costumes. I got them like a dragon costume that doesn't fit them. Maybe it can fit me. I don't know. It looks really weird. Probably too shiny with the lights.
1: Uh, that was part of the reason, too, is, like, it wasn't actually that shiny. Whoever made this mask, it was just, like, blurry to see. Like, why would you make the plastic blurry if kids are trying to? I joked about it during the show. It's like, kids are going to be walking into cars and stuff. Like, you're not going to see the candy that gets put in the bag. And when I took it off, it was, like, going from an old school, like, like the tube television to 4k like i can see clearly now
0: it's no better than when we were kids and they had that like superman mask or all the other masks they had like the little slits for the nose and then they would get really sweaty because it was too tight Then they had that like (laughs) elastic that was way too tight around your back and it would cut in oh keep talking i'll bring it
1: back hold on no just keep
0: talking i'll go get it i suppose i'll continue jake apparently has kept all of these throughout eternity if there's one thing that jake doesn't mind at all it's that having a mask that's way too tight on his sweaty nose despite the fact that it's hijacking
1: look the little elastic in the back to hold it see a little that i'll look i'll even show you how it was although i have my hat on so it'll be kind of tough but it was like this i mean you could double you could double that this is blurry
0: Yeah, but you could double that as like a 1987 like ski goggles mask because that's kind (laughs) of what it looks like. If you made it like
1: a bit brighter
0: orange where like the the glasses, you'd be good to go.
1: See how it blurs my face. Oh, I forgot about those. I actually had a pair of those ski goggles when I used to snowboard. And Why would you make it that blurry? Like it's so freaking blurry.
0: No, you need the thing that I used to use on my hockey mask when I was growing up. You put the spray on, you wipe it off. It doesn't fog. Everything's clean. And then you would be good to go. Running backs for week eight at the very top. Derrick Henry, no surprise, he's playing. uh, And he's Derrick Henry with everything that he is doing right now. So he is number one. Dalvin Cook, Ezekiel Elliott, Austin Eckler, Najee Harris, DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor, Nick Chibb, who is expected to return this week. No Kareem Hunt. Daryl Henderson and James Robinson inside the top ten. You said you had a problem with one of the rankings. I'm guessing it's Alvin Kamara at number 11.
1: Uh, It wasn't actually even the running back position, but yes, I would have, I I would have Kamara higher mm, for two reasons. Uh, Look, Tampa Bay is still top 10 against the run. They aren't what they were last year. Uh, We also just saw with Cleo Herbert in that mess of the Bears offense and granted the Bears offensive line is pretty good, but so is the New Orleans offensive line. And if we're going to get any kind of repeat, and I don't expect it to be that level, I don't expect Elvin Kamara to be the leader in targets, yards and receptions receiving. But the Saints, Sean Payton, clearly woke up and said, "Hey, let's stop not using Camara in the passing game." That's really what it comes down to. It's just a volume standpoint. I I wouldn't sit here and say Kamara should be number two behind Henry uh, because it is still Tampa Bay. But he's game script independent. Whether it's a slog fest of a game like we just saw, or where they're you know they're getting blown out, or whether they're winning, because Camara is their only legitimate weapon at this point. With everybody that's also hurt in that backfield between. Now, as Zigbo's the backup, like Dwayne Washington even get involved that much time. Montgomery was seeing some time at running back because they got Traquan Smith back. It's just it's Kamara and nobody else. So I'd probably stop at Swift, putting him over Swift, uh, mostly because I love what we just saw about Swift. You and I talked about last week's and I had a hesitancy about Swift because all of his production was coming in the fourth quarter. And that's another situation. They finally woke up and said, hey, maybe we use DeAndre Swift in the first three quarters. And they did right out of the gate. If you told me that was going to guarantee go forward with, then I would say just keep DeAndre Swift right there. But for this week, I'd still play Camaro over Swift. We're nitpicking RB1s, but that's the yeah, I do have quite a few spots I'd move Camaro up.
0: I just feel like we're now just banking on that he needs to do everything through the receiving game because even against Seattle, it's not like he got he had a ton of rushes for absolutely nothing. That didn't really turn out well for him, but it was all due to the receiving game and breaking the one big one, and that's really hard to bank on. And then you have uh, Andres, don't call me Amanda. Pete looks like he tore his bicep or pack or something like that so he's going to be out so that's a downgrade to the offensive line and I think Tampa's smart enough to know it's like oh we have one thing in this game that we have to do stop Elvin Kamara and we're going to win by 500 points because they can't do anything else
1: yeah, it should be, but we're also talking about even before this game, you said it has to do in the passing game, and I don't necessarily agree with that because he just had three games in a row before this game where he had 120 total yards, uh, 70, 70 of them coming in one game rushing, I think close to 100 of them coming rushing one game in another game where it's more balanced. I think it was like 70 receiving, but it's three games in a row of 120 yards because he is, and yes, we say that all the time, that teams are smart enough and teams are going to go out there, and it's the check, and that's why I say the whole check is uh, – it's confirmation bias with check because everybody's like, oh, he always takes away the best weapons. Not that 31 other teams don't try to do the exact same thing and don't try to take away a team's best weapon. But if you're going to give me 20 plus touches of Kamara, that's just all it comes down to. I just don't know that Swift is guaranteed to see 20 again. So I don't disagree with anything you said. I would just go Camara over all those five guys, six guys, technically five, six guys in front of him.
0: I think I like having him hang out at number 11 for the moment. I just do worry about the potential upside for him in this game with Tampa, that everything that you've talked about just seems like what he has to do to get to his, like, median floor when it comes down to it. I'll run the Sims, and you can go to runthesims.com, and you can use code RTS there right now on the monthly membership to get 25% off, and run the slate 10,000 times, and you can adjust your own projections. I want to see what he comes out as in my second run, because he was pretty low in my first one around, and I manually put him up inside my rankings because it's not like I'm going to hmm. bench Elvin Kamara because everyone knows that's how I do my rankings it's when I start this guy <laughs> over this guy it's not a projections list you can get those anywhere when you need bad advice in terms of who I would play you come to my rankings that's what we do so I got Kamara and number 11 Mixon and then Aaron Jones Cordero Patterson Daryl Williams Leonard Fournette Khalil Herbert Elijah Mitchell Devontae Booker and Damian Harris I think that after Kamara you have this like Mixon Aaron Jones and hell Cordero Patterson zone Daryl no. Williams Leonard Fournette I guess you could throw Herbert and Elijah Mitchell and Booker into that mix too is they're all and essential- Harris. I don't Harris isn't a full-time guy though is the thing I he's do- close enough I do think he's pretty game script dependent that if they get down in this game against the Chargers in a game where they are not favored we're just gonna see a lot more Brendan Bolden like we've we've been seeing in these games
1: I don't think it's enough to take him out of this conversation because Damian Harris is used in the passing game and he, you know, he doesn't completely lose all of it. It's not, it's not a James Conner Chase Edmonds situation split. Like they almost have separate roles completely. Uh, even you could look up and I'm trying to think, I'm looking at anybody in front of them on this list that might be in a similar situation where you say, okay, if it's purely passing, it's just the other guy instead, you'd have to go further down. You'd have to go into more like the Zach Moss, Devin Singletary situation. Although that kind of went sideways in their, that game before the bye week anyway, because Singletary was just out there at the start. Um, but all that being said, is Damian Harris is used in the passing game. This is something we talked about in the preseason, is the fact that he has three-down ability. And this is something that, you know, Bilicek hasn't had for many years. You have to go back to, like, Latavius Murray, Corey Dillon, Robert Edwards days for that. But he has used somebody in that fashion before. Obviously, that 50 to (laughs) terrible slaughtering game, you can't take too much out of it for Bolden and J.J. Taylor. And here's the thing, and I mentioned this on my show, Pat, is I would be concerned about Stevenson if you had him, but I would also not be shocked if Stevenson came out and was all of a sudden the number two again this week for two reasons, not only is it Billichick, but I keep referencing the podcast I did with D'Angelo Williams where he brought up and said, when you go through practices, this is something that you don't know unless you're a player, and this is why his opinion in this is more important than ours, is he said things happen during the week in practice, and sometimes, especially at running back, and especially if you're a rookie running back, and you miss plays and you miss assignments and you miss a pass block and you just... Screw up two or three times in one day, you know, it happens to everybody, but especially at running back, and especially for rookies, you get benched. Like sometimes the coach sends you a message and says, you're out this week or, you know, you fall down the depth chart for one week. You got to get your crap together. So I say that to say this. I don't think we're definitively in the situation where we can say 100 percent. Brandon Bolden is now James White. Uh, I would bet on it, but I would have to get plus money to use the betting lingo. I don't, I don't think it would be a shock. So I would have Damian Harris higher also because the Chargers are one of the most favorable running back matchups. I know that you said it could get out of hand, and I don't disagree with that, but I would definitely play him over Devontae Booker. You talk about a game that could get out of hand. We just saw what happened to Booker two weeks ago. And I'd probably play him over Herbert, but I would go Mitchell over Herbert, too.
0: Uh, I just like where Herbert's coming in right now. I was really surprised I he do conti- too. that he continued to touch the ball as often against the Bucs with Damian Williams. Here's back. my one hesitant.
1: Sorry. What I, is it? I know you hate to be cut out. Sorry. I was just, uh, sorry. I, I hate, I didn't mean to cut you off. It's, it's okay. <laughs> anyway, it already happened. I'm not sure that Damian Williams just wasn't hundred percent coming back from COVID. And I, I'm not saying that he's going to take the lead. I just, I, and again, it's just pure speculation. I have no reports. This is just me sitting here as like, I Again, similar to the Patriots situation, I love, I 100% agree with you and everybody. I love what we're seeing from Herbert. I was one of the biggest Herbert fans in my draft profile when coming out of college. That being said, I don't know that that one game tells us Damian Williams is f- officially out of the equation. Is That's all I'm saying.
0: Sure. I'm going to try to bank on Herbert still being the guy for the Bears right now. And the thing with Harris okay. is, like, yes, he's involved in the receiving game, kind of. He's averaging fewer than two catches a game. It's like 1.5. And someone like Devontae Booker is averaging three catches a game over the past three since he's become the starter. And he's touching the ball, like, guaranteed 17, 18 times a game.
1: I, I, again. Not wrong. Uh, this is a close-knit group, and I when I run my projections and do my rankings, I guarantee that you mentioned Aaron Jones. I think starting at probably Cordell Patterson all the way, even into the Chuba Hubbard range. So that's, what, 14 to 24? I'm probably expecting a point and a half, two points difference in projections. So this is just how tight this group gets. It's similar to wide receiver threes.
0: I am pretty ecstatic that the Packers are playing on Thursday night and not on Sunday because I would be the guy looking at the board on Sunday with Aaron Jones as one of the most expensive running backs on draftings and being like, well, no one's playing him. I'll play Aaron Jones. It's going to be the four touchdown game. They'll have like two points. Like (laughs) Theoretically, this should be a great spot for him. We're, I, the rankings are acting like there is no Devontae Adams this week, although as we record this, he has not officially been ruled out on the COVID list. He is very unlikely to play at this point, though. That's why he is not in the rankings. So with someone like Aaron Jones, like could he be more involved in the receiving game? Yeah, absolutely. Could he not? Sure. Like, I, I have such a bad vibe about their backfield. that I just, It's worse than it was last year, because at least last year, if Aaron Jones didn't have a big game, like A.J. Dillon was really good. Now it's just like they can both be bad. I don't know what's going
1: on. This is why I have zero Aaron Jones and why everybody told me I hated Aaron Jones. I I love Aaron Jones on a per touch basis. I don't like Aaron Jones on the Packers. You switch roles and put Aaron Jones on half the other teams in the NFL and I would consistently have him as a top 10 running back and potentially a top five. The funny thing is you mentioned he's already hit a career high in receiving touchdowns. He's always been touchdown reliant he ran for 11 around 1100 yards each of the past two seasons it's the touchdowns that carried him to a top five finish on top of the fact you also have the attrition of running backs that fell out due to injury so you know most years if everybody stayed healthy which that never happens i'm not saying that's ever going to happen but everybody stayed healthy he probably still finishes his rb 9 10 11 somewhere around there look at the points per game and it's touchdown reliant. I. Drew, this comparison and people told me I was stupid, but I said he's essentially the goodwill fuller of running backs. You might get the three touchdown game that you're talking about and you might get six points. That's just what you you just do that. If you invested in Aaron Jones, you had to know that's what you were getting, especially with A.J. Dillon this year. I agree. It should be a smash spot the Arizona is even more favorable at times against the run, especially after the contact. They're, they're a great team to run on. And if you look at Aaron Jones in this game with no Devontae Adams, it should be. And he's already being used in the passing game. Um, but yeah, there is the hesitancy of it could just be he's got, I'm looking like he's got a lower floor than Cordero Patterson behind him. He's got a lower floor than Leonard Fournette, unless Bruce Arians, after what, seven weeks of trusting Leonard Fournette, all of a sudden goes throws us a curveball. He honestly probably has a lower floor than Khalil Herbert at this point. But you play Aaron Jones because he can also score 40 points
0: yeah his range of outcomes is just so much across the board but that high end is the super high end i actually took the baseline projections from run the sims and just ran them for this slate ten thousand times while we were talking to look at who the highest projected running back of the week is do you know who it is by three points aaron jones no it's uh, aaron jones? it's elvin kamara
1: yeah <laughs> oh, so there you go do you, you know he's actually number one this year he's actually over derrick henry as great as derrick in half point ppr
0: really that doesn't sound
1: right the- I just I checked just because
0: you're fake news. Am I? I think so. I, I feel like he has coming, one he coming fewer the, game. Yeah, but coming into. The oh, no, game. You're, no, you're right. Derek Henry had it was like you're outscoring right. every yeah. other running back by like 60. He points
1: at one point. No, no, no. I was going to say this. Is what happened? The site that I pulled up defaulted to 2020 for some reason. I don't know why I didn't see that. I didn't see the date at the top. Yeah, it is. He's actually four. So yeah. there you
0: go. Oh, I mean, crushing my preseason rank of Alvin Kamara. I guess I had him at number five. I think. No, I had him at number four. Did you? I had no, I went McCaffrey, Cook, Berkeley. No, I had Berkeley like number eleven. I I wasn't drafting Berkeley. Oh, did you? Yeah. So I okay. had, I had McCaffrey, great pick. Uh McCaffrey, Cook, Henry, Kamara. So yeah, getting close. Too bad CMC C M C will come back and still be the per game leader for the season once we look at back, but he'll only have played like five games. It'll be great. <laughs>
1: I don't know. He's got to get this. 24.5. What does CMC have right now? Probably, Th- even probably. through his game.
0: Well, he had the, he had the injury. So that, that one's really going to hurt him, but I feel like that's up where he was around.
1: He was at, no, he was at 22.7 yeah, in but, the two games before he hurt. So he's still that, but I'm saying that's, that's still almost two points behind Henry.
0: Yeah, McCaffrey will be good to get that back. Anyway, let's get to the rest (laughs) of the ranks. You're you're probably playing all of these guys inside the top 20. I actually think, like when I say the cutoff, I think that Harris is different than Booker by a little hair. I think that Harris has more in common with the next guys down this list, whether it be Connor and Edmonds, who I have at 21 and 22, Antonio Gibson, Chuba Hubbard. Alex Collins at number 25 was not a good game, obviously, on Monday night, but he is the guy in that backfield, even with Rashad Penny coming back. And now they get Jacksonville. That's much easier. So the first one is the the waiver wire pickup of the week, Kenneth Gainwell, I have a number 26. Like, I I don't even know if he's going to have more fantasy points than Boston Scott. So how high can I really rank the guy?
1: There you go. And honestly, unless Jordan Howard gets activated, I would start Boston Scott over Kenneth Gainwell because here's the issue. Uh, Chris and I actually talked about it on the show. Hey, Chris is the Eagles guy, and he knows it. And he's not saying anything anybody who follows this team doesn't know. But Kenneth Gen- Kenneth Gangwell hasn't seen the field as much as he should in the passing game this year. And why you're seeing Miles Sanders on some of those, because he's abysmal in pass blocking. Like, it's not even just getting blown up by linebackers and defensive ends and all. That. It's the fact he's not even the right place at the right time. Like, you're missing assignments, weekly missing assignments. Uh, if they had better options, this would go back to my whole thing with DeAngelo's. They might have just, like, benched him for a game at this point. He is just – they do not trust him, and for good reason. He looks awful – it's essentially Tyson Williams' situation. You can look explosive. You can look great on your per plays. The difference is the Ravens said, screw it. You're being benched because we have other options. The Eagles really have it. So I would start Boston Scott over him because Boston Scott is the goal line runner, and he's also the lead runner, and he's also down on passing downs. And I'm not saying the split's going to be 70-30 – but Boston Scott is the lead, as weird as it sounds, because you look at Boston Scott and you look at his talent, you look at his play, and you say, Oh, Boston Scott's a nice complimentary piece as a 40% of a 60-40 split. But in this situation, I actually think Boston Scott is the 60-40 split. He's on the 60 side with Gainwell because the Eagles rightfully so don't trust Gainwell. Now, can Gainwell turn his plays into more? Arguably, sure. Uh, but I would go Scott, I would go Scott over Gainwell, although I would not like to really start either one of them i'm going down your ranks and even though gaskin's facing buffalo the malcolm brown injury would make me trust gaskin over both of them and i think that's right i I would almost go gaskin and then scott gainwell bolden if it was my rankings
0: well if i'm gonna boost scott up above bolden i think i'm gonna put gainwell one spot behind bolden then instead of having them completely back to back i'll go scott Uh, One spot ahead of Brandon Bolden at number 30, they'll make him number 31 now, and that will make Kenneth Gainwell number 33 is the way that I want to play it. Because I'm with you on Miles Gaskin. I think that he has a decent floor in this game because of the receiving, uh, with no Malcolm Brown being around. Maybe they end up turning to Salvon Ahmed a little bit more. Maybe Patrick, our Laird and savior, ends up getting back (laughs) involved again. But it just seems like in these games where they're behind and... Gaskin's going to be on the field it's going to be dump off city especially with how bad the Dolphins offensive line and how good the pass rush has been for the Bills so far that just it feels like Jalen Waddle short passes Miles Gaskin short passes and not a lot of points for the Dolphins so yeah. I don't really know he'd have to break one in order to turn out a really good game but at the same time his floor is stabilized a little bit you went on JD McKissick being like would you start JD McKissick over Antonio Gibson at this point because I wouldn't yet but it's it's getting there
1: It's getting close. Hey, it was out snapped. It was there like I had J.D. McKissick in a DraftKings lineup last week because I was looking for the savings and plugged it in for the fact because each week, and I even say the good DraftKings play, is because uh, I know we're talking seasonal, but to bring this into the conversation, the upside of McKissick for seasonal and DraftKings is similar. It's the fact that, look, you're getting a flex running back, and even though the snaps are different, Gibson out touches him. But we know any given week, there's a risk Gibson just leaves and never comes back in that game. And then that's the upside there because now Gibson's the guy. And if Gibson's getting 80% of a work, even if it's 80% only in the second half, now you're talking about McKissick potentially being top 20. So, you know, at 5100, still a great play, and seasonal, still a great play in this range. And if you're talking about the fact that he's here with Melvin Gordon and Alex Collins and Zach Moss, his ceiling's just as high, but a different ceiling. His ceiling is high because of the touches potential, and their their up their upside is really baked into hopefully getting a touchdown. So, I, I'm with you again. I, I would not start him over Gibson yet, but I got to tell you, Washington loses this week and that might even be the cutoff point. It might take one more game after that. I wouldn't be surprised that they shut Gibson down. Inside Injuries keep saying the only way to heal this injury is you need to rest. You cannot play through this kind of injury. It's never going to heal.
0: And you could always make it a whole lot worse for yourself, too. Then you actually have to deal with the ramifications of this going into next year, which I'm sure that they don't want to do because this year, an absolute write-off for the Washington football team at this point. Does this mean you've picked up Jared Patterson where you need to? Yes,
1: yes where i could uh anywhere i have a free roster spot i'd pick him up you know we talk about backups all the time and something i don't know i don't know your feelings on it but we talk about backups in a hole when drafting but in season a lot of times people are like should i drop you know, Carlos Hyde for Samaje P. Ryan. And I'm like, hey, you know, okay, P. Ryan looks a little bit better. But when you're talking backups or backups, and like, yeah, one looks a little bit better on a better team, but it's kind of like it's just really whoever gets hurt first. Uh, you know, Mike Davis is essentially a high-end backup now at this point. Oh He's not God. somebody like <laughs> yeah, I know. But that being said, if Cordell Patterson got hurt, I would like Mike Davis more than Samaj P. Ryan, even though P. Ryan's been better than Mike Davis has been. So I say all that to say this is P. Ryan kind of s- is starting to creep up towards like not quite Tony Pollard because Pollard has standalone value and not Alexander and Madison because we know Madison can be an RB1, but he's kind of just right in that next group now where he's a priority next man up because the risk is so high that he's basically with P. Ryan and with Sony Michelle the running backs in front of him are such an injury risk that those would be the ones I prioritized.
0: Michael Carter I have at number 27 right now against Mm -hmm. the Bengals. I don't know the health status of Tevin Coleman. He is not in the rankings. He did not play in week number seven. Ty Johnson left the game in week seven, but I do have him in the rankings. If both those guys are out, Michael Carter could be kind of sneaky this week. I would probably bump him up to, like, it wouldn't be that far. I'd probably go from, like, 27 to 25. I could be a coin flip between him and Shuba Hubbard at that point.
1: Yeah, I think I would no, I, I would go higher. I would it, 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 it,
0: well, it depends on who's playing quarterback. If it's Magic Mike, I'd boost him way up because he's going to catch like 14 passes in the game. If it's Flacco... Uh,
1: Joe I'm, Joe, I'm, Joe Flacco loves... He has one of the highest percentage of throwing the running backs. Back who, when Philip Rivers, I remember pulling it up that year. Joe Flacco loves to throw the running backs.
0: But Joe Flacco... Who knows what Joe Flacco like now versus even... Was he playing for the Jets last year I, or the year before? <laughs>
1: was the year before, like, he knows this system, and if he can't throw anymore, I mean, he was never a huge a dot guy anyway. Well, but, he's,
0: yeah, he's, like, he wouldn't necessarily know this system. It's a brand new coaching staff.
1: No, no, but he's familiar. There's one of the coaches that he's familiar with and familiar with the style. Oh, what the heck is it? I know it's Salah, but there's somebody underneath Salah. Anyway, it's like six degrees of Kevin Bacon or whatever it is. There's a connection here where Joe Flacco could just step in and be very, He could easily start this week. And I mean, uh, it's Mike White. I, if you could go for Joe Flacco and Joe Flacco is ready to pick up the playbook. All that being said, no, and I'm saying this is I'm saying independent of the quarterback, whether it is Mike White or Joe Flacco. I would start Michael Carter over both. Arizona running backs, because you just said this is if Ty Johnson's out because he is going to be the guy. The problem right now is that Ty Johnson is actually more valuable than people want to treat him because he gets a good amount of passing game work in a weird way, which we don't normally see. He's the passing game option who also gets goal line carries. Now Michael Carter is not that far behind him in goal line carries. Everybody just thinks it's only Ty Johnson because that's all they remember is that he's taking it away from Michael Carter. Michael Carter is getting his own share. But if you give basically 80% of that backfield to Michael Carter, yeah, he needs to be at least 21. I you, To go back to your Damon Harris argument, I might even argue Michael Carter over Damon Harris because of that workload.
0: It would be difficult to rank them above the Arizona guys because they play on Thursday and we just won't have that information that I'd rather risk it with the Arizona guys before unless unless it was very clear cut of what was going on in the Jets' backfield. So I, that's, where, that's why I said that's why I'd be hesitant to put him up there. So I'd probably move him up at least initially. Yeah, you know what? You're you probably right. It would be like a coin flip with Damian Harris because Connor and Edmonds would both be off the board by the time we actually knew. that It's a situation to watch out for. If Chubb can't go, how high is Dearness Johnson?
1: <laughs> how high is too high at, yeah. at Dearness Johnson? Is he top 10? I think... Or number 11 I, I, would,
0: would he would Camara go up one spot and Dearness Johnson would be number 11
1: 14 I know it's the Browns but I still cannot start Dearness Johnson over Aaron Jones Joe Mixon Alvin Kamara James Robinson those I just I cannot do it uh, it might be the right call And, you know, uh, Dearness Johnson could easily replicate what he did last week because it is the Browns and it is, but it's also the Steelers this time. And I'm not saying the Steelers are, oh my God, run for the hills, the Buccaneers of last year when it comes to run defense. And there's actually been some games where they haven't looked good. It's been very inconsistent some weeks and maybe some of that hinges on the health of TJ Watt when he's been out there or not. But what it comes down to is just it's Dearness Johnson looks really good. Uh, Everybody wants to talk about, oh, you're so disrespected because of his 40 time. But still. You, ah, there's no way. I, how could you sit there and tell me he should start over Aaron Jones and Joe Mixon? That's really what it comes down to.
0: Yeah, if you're looking right now at the top five run defenses in football, it's the Saints, Rams, Steelers, Colts, and Bengals are the top five. Seahawks, sneakily number six against the run so far this season. Uh, then you got the Browns, Washington, Miami, and Denver. It's really strange, like Washington, both run defense and in terms of pressure rate on the quarterback. Both really good. They just have absolutely no secondary. It's really bizarre. Yeah,
1: and that's the weird part about it is like yeah, I think Washington's defense is one of the biggest surprises this year. Yeah, you know, but, but, but but argue- don't be
0: surprised next year when they're like a top five unit again because they only need like one or two decent pieces and they're really good again.
1: And that's the thing is we thought they were just as good with additional pieces from the draft and just you know getting people back healthy that they'd be. I even made, I made the comparison to the giant Super Bowl run and said when you can get that kind of front and that kind of pressure and your fifth option in the defensive line is better than some teams can even have as a starter, you don't need the best secondary in the world. But <laughs> at this point, you also need a secondary and a linebacking crew that looks like it could just Play football, and it hasn't yet this year. So, it, you know, your t- your statement, honestly, is also a testament to fantasy defenses in general. Is this is how much changes from year to year, no matter what we think or what we know. Uh, so, yeah, it, it just also they played a little bit better last week, and I wouldn't say you know against Denver, you know the run game. I see where you have the running backs ranked, and I think that's a fair spot, especially because that's I would rather attack them through the air. And I think they will do that, especially if Jerry Judy's back.
0: Yeah, just looking at, I do have Jerry Judy ranked this week, but he's still a game time decision right now. In terms of coverage so far this year, uh, the Lions are the worst. Washington is second worst. Jacksonville, Houston, Chicago, the Jets, the Seahawks, Steelers, Broncos, and Colts are your bottom 10 coverage defense. The Bills are actually the best uh, in coverage. Bills, Cardinals, Titans, Raiders, and Vikings. Raiders, sneaky good D. Did not see that one coming.
1: Well, that's what we thought that they're the red. Oh, I almost said it. They're all they are the Washington footballs. They are the team that is getting pressure after the quarterback and has enough pieces in the secondary and linebacking group to be able to play really good defense because they're getting that pressure. And the guys behind them, the back seven or depending on the formation. But anyway, point being is they're playing well enough that it's creating a good overall defense. So it's basically what we expected Washington to be.
0: Yeah. Vegas is number one in pass rush. Washington is number two. And you can see just the big discrepancy between those two defenses just because of the secondary right now. Um, Last one, Bills running backs. Moss and Singletary, you brought it up (laughs) that we were kind of rope-a-dope the last time that we saw the Bills. Is my ranking of Zach Moss too low? Should he be a lot higher just thinking that they go back to him?
1: No, because I would play Miles Gaskin over him and not even think twice about that. And that was this fr- coming from somebody that yesterday morning, because the news wasn't out while I was doing the podcast with Meanie, is that said, Sal, hi, I'm, As- I'm Gaskin. And then Malcolm Brown goes on IR just an hour later. This is the fun of doing live shows. Uh, but, you know, hey, anyway, for everybody that's watching this show that also watches that show up there in Canada, if you watched it last night, sorry, but that news wasn't out yet. uh It's the Zach Moss. Yes, this would be a game where we say, okay, we can trust Zach Moss again, but we also thought we were were trusting zach moss in the game before the bye which that game also looked like it should have been a zach moss game and yet singletary was out there the majority of the time early like zach moss wasn't even getting some of his work until the second half so i don't think it's too high i would start Gaskin definitively over him and i i I don't know where my ranking
0: here's why i would not start him over i would play i would chance that there was a rebound in this spot for Zach Moss, and all of a sudden he becomes the lead again. And if he is the lead, even if it's like a 65-35 split, I'm just playing for touchdowns here. That I think that the, okay. tu- the touchdown equity of Zach Moss in this game against the Dolphins versus Miles Gaskin on the other side is more valuable in my fantasy lineup. Although it's it's okay. it's ripe for two points, it's also ripe for like 25 points.
1: Okay. Well, and that's what happens for a lot of people that have to make decisions. If you are talking about RB3s, do you need the floor or the ceiling? So th- that's really what it comes down to. If you like your team and you just don't want to risk a two or potentially a zero, <laughs> Zach Moss just doesn't even barely get involved. Yeah, then you play. Then you play Gaskin if you're going for your point. Yeah. Uh, the, the the situation for both to hit their ceiling is more likely for Moss, although I don't think Gaskin's ceiling is that far from his because of what you talked about earlier when we were talking about Gaskin. If this game is out of hand and the Bills are up twenty-four to three in the second quarter, and then all of a sudden Gaskins walking to ten targets, you know that's the kind of upside. But if you you talk about running the simulations on Run the Sims, if you ran a simulation ten thousand times, I think you're more likely to hit Moss's ceiling than you are Gaskin's ceiling.
0: Let's try to find where is Zach Moss right now. Zach Moss, proje- his medium projection. So if we just take the upside, the downside, and everything flat across the board in half point PPR, his medium projection is 12.1. Miles Gaskin 12.2.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. But I bet. If, you, but, I be- you, but I bet. But I bet you the. Distribution can you run ceilings? Is-
0: uh, I can run the yes I can run ceilings just give me a second on that vibe with me for a second while I look this up um, <laughs> if people haven't signed up for prizepicks.com yet I think that they should do that right now and use code mmn when you deposit uh, if you put in 100 bucks they'll give you another 100 bucks you'll have 200 bucks but I want to talk about Thursday night and what to do with the receiving core on this team uh, only because if Devonte Adams is out like how high does Lazard go how high does Cobb go like what are we doing with these guys
1: yeah, look, Lazard, we've done this before. And Lazard kind of gives me the feeling of one of those, not Travis Falgum, but I just it's the best explanation I can give. Because, you know, as this the Fulgham guy because he's from ODU. So, you know, that's kind of one of those things. When you cover, not cover, when you watch a team more than anybody else, you kind of, that's why we trust beat writers for some of these inside information. Told everybody, and I'm saying this to, I'm setting up the whole argument here, is I was like, go grab Fulgham before everybody else. And I'm saying that like, ha ha, I told you. I'm saying that to say, I also was one of the first people to say, get off of Travis Fulgham. Because once defenses treated him as the number one wide receiver, That's not a skill set. We've seen what Fulgham is. He's a wide receiver four or five in the NFL. It's a great story when we we see a wide receiver do that. I don't think Lazard is of his level. I think Lazard is better than him. I'm just concerned that if there is no Devontae Adams and you're stopping Lazard in the passing game, and I mean, your focus is obviously going to be Aaron Jones, but who are you going to stop at wide receiver? You're going to try and stop Lazard and you're going to say, beat us with Randall Cobb and whoever else might be the actives of the other wide receivers. So I think that Lazard would definitely have to be started in most leagues. Where do You you have him at 32. I think that's a good spot for him. I'd probably still go Emmanuel Sanders, Marvin Jones, especially against Seattle. And I would put him in kind of like that Julio Jones, A.J. Green conversation, which is still low in wide receiver three. But I wouldn't go crazy. I, I wouldn't put him inside the top 20. And I think some people would want to do that.
0: Interesting. Yeah. I I like him outside because I I have the same hesitations that you have. I was actually just looking on prizepicks.com to go see where the receiving totals are going to be for these guys. And they're just like, you know what? We're not going to offer them. But I I want (laughs) to get your take on some of these uh, because you need to play one from each side of the game. uh, If you're, I mean, at least one from each side of the game, you can play up to five. Uh, Again, prizepicks.com, code MMN. Kyler Murray, 259.5 passing yards. Doesn't that seem like a crazy low number?
1: It is for the way that he's playing right now. And you're kind (laughs) of... You're, you're kind of jumping into when you asked earlier. I said I had a problem with one of your rankings. It is it, Kyler Murray. So we'll save it for when we get to the quarterbacks. But because he is essentially turning into a pass happier quarterback this year, and deservedly so, you know, you bring in AJ Green to the mix, you add Rondell Moore, who is overrated for name value, but when it comes to fantasy, but for real life value, still having that as your fourth wide receiver with Christian Kirk and AJ Green as the 2 3, whichever it might be in a given week. DeAndre Hopkins, who's actually seen his target volume come down because they have so many options. And they add Zach Ertz, which, you know, I agree with you still sell high on Zach Ertz because without that touchdown, you know, he still was only fourth. He was ahead of Rondell Moore, but he's still only fourth in opportunity. So all these weapons, Kyle Murray doesn't have a problem not running anymore because he's turned into a passer. I agree with you. I think that's extremely, extremely low number. I was also looking real quick is that. PFF has Alan Lazard likely to line up the most with Alford and Murphy, which are the two top. It's a poor and a below-average matchup. So that's the big thing too. Is it might be a Randall Cobb game? And I, I don't even want to say it because you know I don't like the player. Watch should it be an Equanimee Saint Brown game?
0: Yeah, they're not getting MVS off IR yet, are they?
1: Uh, he's eligible, but it doesn't sound. If they didn't, they didn't already start the window. Like uh, who was the one that started? Somebody just started their window this week. Oh, uh, Michael Gallup. Didn't even start the window yet. So I don't know. It doesn't seem like it. Not with Thursday.
0: Okay. Interesting stuff. Yeah. So Zach Moss versus Miles Gaskin, the ceiling projection for Zach Moss is 29.2, where the ceiling projection <laughs> for Miles Gaskin is like 22.5.
1: There you go. That's exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. So,
0: I mean, the, the, our analysis was right of the situation. I'm just playing for the larger upset because I do think that they do go back to Moss. I just think that he's the better player over Singletary. This is such an easy matchup for them.
1: It should. I absolutely. It better be. 100%. It better be an easy matchup. <laughs> if you You're a Bills fan, <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, you would hope so. Full wide receiver rankings for the week. Again, you can find all of the rankings down in the description or up on dknation.com. And plus, I'll have the updates in the newsletter. If you subscribe to that, Mayo Media Network's up to the YouTube channel as well. Cooper Cup, Jamar Chase up to number two. Do you have any idea how good some of my teams are doing? Because I have Jamar Chase everywhere.
1: it's great i know the feeling i only wish i had gotten more of them and unfortunately the places where i don't have them are like home leagues and stuff like people read my stuff yeah (laughs) and bring my and bring my rankings to the draft
0: (laughs) cup chase tyreek devo aj brown justin jefferson mclaurin Ridley CD lamb coming back from by DeAndre Hopkins number 10 Keenan Allen back from by Chris Godwin and Mike Evans I have AJ Brown is out of these rankings right now uh if he plays obviously I will put him back in and I'll readjust them Stefan Diggs Mike Williams deontay Johnson DJ Mormari Cooper Adam thielen now it, this is so much easier to do than last week when there were six good teams on bye. Yeah. <laughs> now now we have DK Metcalf at number 21 Sterling Shepard. this is saying that Tony Tony is the only giant that I don't have in the receiving core right now. So, no Tony, no Barkley uh, in that offense. So, I have Sterling Shepard, number 21, Brennan Cooks, Jalen Waddle, Cortland Sutton with Judy back, Michael Pittman with T.Y. Hilton back, T. Higgins, Robert Woods, Devonta Smith, Jarvis Landry, Chase Claypool. I found like I was rolling really good until we got to Metcalf. I mean, outside of one play, he would have been a disaster last night.
1: It would have been. I don't. You know, this is just what Geno does at quarterback. So I'm going to say I actually do have. I want to move somebody inside your top ten what? down to sixteen. Down to sixteen. Um, Justin Jefferson. Because Cal, Calvin Ridley. really He is without. Look at look at his per game and. I I, again for everybody out there if you want to tweet me who said it I I love because I can't remember I thought it was Ray Murphy I thought it was Rudy Gamble somebody tweeted it out and I didn't see the tweet enough like I didn't see it fast enough because I was in the middle of a podcast to be able to save it and I should have but he pointed out the fact that Calvin Ridley for his career is not great in producing fantasy after the catch well just in producing that for the catch but for fantasy purposes. He's very air yard per target reliant. And what's the problem is is because of how defenses are treating him now, as deservedly so, as the only option. Kyle Pitts is helping a little bit, but he's still not doing much after the catch as he's never done. But now his A dot and air yards are coming down. And because of that, he's very reliant on how deep at Ryan is going to him and reliant on the touchdown. He's not getting seven for one ten. Uh, he's not essentially, he's the inverse Keenan Allen. He's the low yards touchdown where Keenan Allen's like, okay, fine. I won't have a big a dot, but I'll still catch the ball seven times. Deontay Johnson is by far, I keep, I said this all last year, Deontay Johnson would have been a top 10 wide receiver. If you just take the games where he didn't exit early. And I know that's a lot to say, but it's, it's true. Even that was with Juju Smith Schuster last year. I know it's against Cleveland, but I would go Deontay Johnson, Mike Williams, Stefan Diggs, Mike. Both you have no Antonio Brown, so both Buccaneers before Calvin Ridley, uh, and that's where I would stop. And DJ Moore right in that same game with him because there's some concerns with how Darnold's playing. Might even be PJ Walker this week. No, they, they, said, they, they point, said
0: they said Darnold's gonna play.
1: Okay, I, I just I meant like, does he finish the game again? Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. okay. the, the, the the point the point being is, I I just I don't think we can say Calvin Ridley similar to Alan Robinson, not even be startable anymore. I don't know that we could say Calvin Ridley is definitively a top 10 anymore.
0: Okay. I'll move Ridley down. You sold me down to number 16 in the rankings and that boosts everyone up back a spot. So that works out for me. Do you think we'll see Stefan Gilmore this week?
1: Hmm. If so, that, I, like that, then that's it, bad. It, that, that is what bad. It is definitely, it is because de- that secondary is already good to begin with. Um, uh, but it could be even worse, but also like what is Stefan Gilmore right now? And, <laughs> i just sighed because i'm about to do it again but to go back to deangelo williams it was like the conversation of like like when Le'Veon bell came back that year and you everybody remembers that that first game dalvin cook when he came back from his injury there's a difference between being in game shape and a difference between being in actual nfl shape actually mike tomlin was one of the first person who said that to me I had to Get again name dropping all over the place but it's these players can be in the best visible specimens you can see but there's a complete difference in being hit and being out there and running every single play so yes it is a concern yes you would knock you know the concern level up but is gilmore out there for 100 of his normal workload is that that's all i'm pointing out
0: or is he still good that's a real question that we have yeah, to i mean consider that's at a question point. too yes
1: yeah we've seen i mean DBs maybe fa-
0: we've seen dbs fall off fall off a cliff much sooner than this and when was the last time gilmore gilmore played like two years ago
1: and I mean, if the team was really willing to give, well, I mean, for what they got in the trade and that might just tell you what they think of Gilmore at this point. Anyway, contract stuff aside,
0: potentially so. All right. So the guys in that 21 through like, do you think Sterling Shepard at 21 is too high if Tony doesn't play? Because I feel like he's just going to get every catch there is if he plays.
1: No, Sterling Shepard is definitely. And even if Tony plays, I wouldn't knock him down that far. Like if Tony plays, I would knock him down. Would you play Tony or Shepard?
0: Would you play Tony or Shepard?
1: I'd still play Shepard.
0: I think I'd I'd play Hunky Tony.
1: No, because, well, here's the difference. I would play Tony over Shepard barely if Kenny Galladay was out. You have Kenny Galladay in, and that's why I would play Shepard over Tony.
0: Yeah, we should probably not spend so much time on the Giants wide receivers. On the Giants wide receivers. Just because it's useless. There's one guy that will be all right, and it'll be like Hunky Tony telling Sterling Shepard to back off, all right? And then he'll have every target there is. He'll just bully Daniel Jones into throwing the ball to him. He might hit him.
1: See, this is why I told you I still need to do your show. You help you help boost the mood. You help this is the stuff that we need. Uh I, I do have one beef too, also it's down to thirty. Chase Claypool is way too low.
0: Why do you think Chase like Juju being out does nothing for Claypool, right?
1: Yeah, it does. No, yeah, it, it does. It was one bad yes, it does. Because if you go back, I already had the same argument with somebody else because oh, I okay. said, Go buy low on here's why. Like I said, go buy low on Claypool everywhere. He said, The problem is Ben roethlisberger is still the quarterback. I said, Okay. And Ben roethlisberger was still the quarterback. The three previous games where he had a good game in all of them, and two of those were with that one was without Deontay and one was out with Juju Smith Schuster. And the other one was both, all three of them were out there. Three straight good games, actually, one really giant game without one of those guys on the field. If he's one of the top two options, that's just, it's such a funneled offense through the two of them that, yes, you can call me crazy for whoever you want. I would start Claypool. Uh, and I, I even wish T. Higgins was higher in your rankings, but I would play Claypool. Claypool and Higgins are in the same conversation for me.
0: I at this point, I would rather take the guy who's attached to Joe Burrow and the one who is seeing a ma- who oh saw, sure, who saw I just said same conversation amount, who saw a massive amount of air yards last week and just couldn't convert on them. Uh, I would be you know, listen, T. Higgins. It, that's a tricky game because there's a chance that the Bengals get up by too much, and then it's just like Samaje Ryan and Auden Tate in the game. Because we've seen the Bengals' willingness to pull their starters so they don't get hurt at the end. We've seen it each of the past two weeks with Claypool. Here's my biggest issue. It's twofold for this week against the Browns in particular. One, the Browns' defense, especially in the secondary, pretty good. The pass rush for the Browns, exceptionally good. And what can't Pittsburgh do? They cannot block for poor Ben Roethlisberger. And it feels to me like if Claypool is going to have one of these big games, he's going to have to catch the ball down the field. And I just don't think he's going to have enough time to get those routes to develop. It's going to be Deontay Johnson and Pat Firemouth. And those are going to, and uh, Najee's going to have like 38 catches. And like it's just, it's a tough matchup to me for Chase Claypool and what his skill set brings to the table.
1: Okay. It's a fair argument. That's why I said the same conversation to T Higgins, who's only at 26. Uh, what I was going to bring in about T Higgins is you do have Judy in your rankings. For me, if I'm starting players, it would be Higgins, Claypool, Sutton. And I love Sutton. You know, I love Sutton, but just the hesitancy of Judy, you know, Judy being back. Doug, you didn't even get to say it. You haven't even said it yet. Doug, Judy's back. Um, it's not a big movement in your rankings. And so I, I don't even care if you leave your rankings where they are. It's just for me, you know, so it would go Pittman, Higgins, Claypool, Sutton, and you have Sutton, Pittman, Higgins, Claypool, and it's not that big of a gap. So like, this isn't even one where it's like we have to sit here and argue about it forever.
0: They're all starts to me. So they're all within the wide receiver three conversation. I actually do have primary concerns about Sutton and Pittman. More so with Pittman, weirdly enough. Because I think that week one with Doug Judy back, that he's, I don't know if he's going to get the full complement of snaps. I think that right. he's just going to kind of be out there working his way back into game shape. It'd be one thing if he had been dealing with the shoulder injury. But when you're dealing with a foot and ankle injury, it's tough to keep up your cardio. It's tough to keep everything up like that because you physically can't walk for a really long time. So maybe he's there and I'm misreading the situation, but when he's back to 100%, that might take away from Cortland Sutton. Or maybe it helps Cortland Sutton. We really don't know. Uh, With Teddy Bridgewater, who is also banged up and seeing both these guys healthy at the same time, we really don't know what their correlation to one another is. It could be great for both of them because they're exceptionally hard to cover. The Pittman thing really worried me when Hilton came back two weeks ago like it didn't because I felt like T.Y. Hilton was absolute dust at that point then you watch the game it's like oh Carson Wentz is just throwing (laughs) T.Y. Hilton and not Michael Pittman anymore so as soon as Hilton was inactive for the Sunday night game it's like oh fire up some Michael Pittman this is great but if Hilton is back this week I worry put it that way not enough to like really make a stance in my rankings to be like oh man Pittman's number 54 this week I'd still rather play Pittman I would trust Pittman at least for the week to see what happens but I do have concerns.
1: And yeah, I definitely echo your concerns on some of the other when I'm talking about my podcast. The fact that they went to Hilton, not only the team, but as you mentioned, Carson Wentz for the fact he wasn't even out there the entire game. Both they limited his opportunities because his first game back, but he also aggravated, you know, well, not actually aggravated because it was a different injury, but, you know, kind of got that little tweak and he was held out last week for it. So if he's out there, you're probably not going to see the full complement of snaps. But it's kind of the comparison I drew, Pat, is something I think you were the one that brought it up. And if not, so whatever. I'll take but credit. The fact it's like it's Rob Gronkowski. He doesn't see all the snaps. But when Rob Gronkowski is on the field, he's one of the primary targets. And yes. that's what it felt like. And that's where I agree with you with T.Y. Hilton.
0: Yeah, uh, there's a running back who's like that as well. now I can't wrap my mind around who it is. Damn it. <sighs> it's not from this year. It was from like two years ago that he only played like 34 percent of the snaps. But every time he was on the field, he, he was the on ball. the field. Yeah. No. no. This is what happens <laughs> when you Barclay. do this year after year. Yeah, Saquon Barkley. He only plays 8% of the team snaps per year, but he's
1: always <laughs> touching the ball.
0: Uh, there's a big drop-off here, basically at the Claypool. So, the Claypool. So, at number 30, there's Claypool. Then it's Alan Lazard at number 31. I, I do think he's the best option on the Packers if Adams is out. You might be completely right that this could be a Lamar Miller situation where he's just better as the not full-time guy that's just easier for him uh but the cardinals have a trash pass defense so you can throw him and i would trust aaron Rodgers to get that done so lazard manny sanders marvin jones julio jones aj green at number 35 that's really been the reason why arizona's offense i think has been so good aj green has been awesome which is shocking to me Corey davis at number 36 jacoby meyer 37 christian kirk kenny galladay and jameson crowder whether it's uh, Magic Mike or whether it's, hello, Joe Flacco, I feel like it's good news for Jamison Crowder.
1: It is, and you I thought you were going to say what I, my feeling is about this. If it is Joe Flacco, I think I'd play Crowder over Julio Jones, not knowing if Julio Jones is even going to play through the entire game. Uh, there was a report, Brandon Funston told me about it, well, told us about it, we were on the podcast yesterday, You mentioned it, it was the inside uh Inside the locker room report, I forget who said it, who covers it for the athlete. But anyway, point B, he said you would be disgusted as a fantasy manager if you saw how much treatment Julio Jones gets on a day-to-day basis inside the locker room for what he's dealing with. Oh, uh, It just, it's absurd. It's like his body is completely broken down. And obviously when he's out there, he's look. he wanted to be on the field more. You saw him talking on the sidelines, but... Julio Jones, just it's kind of like T.Y. Hilton at this point. What's the difference? Do we know Julio Jones is going to get 50%? Yeah, you know, he had the one play taken away. It could have been a much better week uh, seven for him. But at the same time, yeah, I, I think I would go, I would play him over Julio Jones if Flacco's at quarterback.
0: Okay. Number 41, Khalif Raymond for the Detroit Lions, who I played two weeks ago in my home keeper league because I was dealing with disastrous by not by with injury problems and then i dropped him because actually my guys came back last week and then the guy who was playing had massive injury problems and he played khalif (laughs) raven against me he actually had another good game he's not bad uh if you just need like a a stable of points tower boyd at number 42 it just feels like he's the one who's been phased out of this offense he he could definitely be the highest scoring bangle but chances are he's the lowest scoring bangle so he's got to be down here (laughs) Lockett at 43 he's just garbage at this point with Gino Darius Slayton Randall Cobb T.Y. Hilton Tim Patrick Cole Beasley Devontae Parker uh Odell Beckham at number 50 Jerry Judy at 51 former vice president under Richard Nixon Spiro Agnew at number 52 <laughs> Russell Russell Gage Miko Hardman Chenault KJ Osborne like now now we're into the weeds with flyers
1: <laughs> now you're now you're getting desperate at this point uh I could see Gage as a little bit more of a desperation. That was his first game back, and he was already clearly the number two wide receiver, number three option. Uh, the Miko Harmon against the Giants. This is one going into the season. You know, they have James Bradbury, they make the trade for or the signing of Dory Jackson. They made another trade, and it's like, oh, my God, that secondary is worrisome. And I haven't referenced that before in the preseason. It said, on paper, one of the best corner duos in the NFL. On paper. It hasn't turned out that way. Someone to Washington, it. hasn't turned out that way. Uh, the Giants have been very vulnerable. Uh, and if you're looking for the big play, I'm just bringing up to say, like, if I'm looking in this range of more of the dart throws, Chenault would be a higher steal. And I would actually put Chenault higher in general. But Harmon would be the dart throw.
0: Chenault sucks. I don't understand why I the d- internet likes him.
1: No, because the talent, this is one of those situations, this is talent situation, the talent argument is, he is like, the hey, new, Who is he's, he's
0: like the new fucking James Coomer or Jake Coomer. No, 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 no. He's got he, the who, wrong one. It was the other I already did it. who was on uh, Green Bay.
1: No, it wasn't on Green Bay. That's the the comparison I already made, I already did this. I already took care of it for you, Pat. I said, who's going down in the fantasy Hall of Fame first, Kristen Michael or LaVisca Chennault?
0: Jeff Janis is who I was thinking about.
1: Yeah, Jeff Janice for that one game, the, all the Hail Marys <laughs> one game. But yeah, I, it's the Kristen-Michael situation. But here's the difference. It's like Agnew and Chenault the past two games before their bye were very close in snaps, routes, targets, and everything like that. It's just that Agnew has been more of the focal point because it's why not Chenault, why Agnew? It's essentially, you know who they are. It's A.J. Green and Christian Kirk, but the worst version because they're on the Jaguars and that value is not as high. But Trevor Lawrence is starting to play better. I still think Chenault has a higher ceiling uh, than Jitmal Agnew. Look, y- you can hate on him all you want, but uh, I mean, I'm not saying I would push him that much higher. I mean, honestly, <laughs> Odell Beckham. Odell Beckham's just straight out droppable at this point. Drop Al- drop Beckham, drop Robbie Anderson, drop Allen Robinson. I've been saying to do it for weeks, and if you're still holding oh, you on, know hope, what? You let know what? him I, go. I, I,
0: I am waiting for the trade deadline before I get rid of Allen Robinson, because if he gets traded to another team, he's like a top 10 guy again.
1: <laughs> That's fair. I'll give you that one. I'm not playing Where'd him, you- but I'm not. I- I, where, did, where did you even put him? Did you put him in worst place?
0: Uh, he's not in worst place. He's at number 67. He's one spot behind Robbie Anderson. Target king, Robbie <laughs> Anderson.
1: <laughs> also, unrealized air yards king, Robbie Anderson. Yeah, can't uh, catch so. Robbie Anderson. Well, it, and this is so somebody asked about this yesterday when I was tweeting. I was tweeting with Mike Clay and Dave Richard about the unrealized air yards. And somebody was like, so they're not that predictable. I said, no, no, no. It's a, one piece of a giant puzzle. And it still comes down to the quarterback play. It's not every air yard is created equal. Corey Davis and Elijah Moore, while being hurt, were ranking inside the top 10 as of week five, with Elijah Moore barely being on the field. The quarterback is part of the equation, too. So unrealized air yards are great when you're talking about Terry McLaurin might go back to Ryan Fitzpatrick or who else was in court. Courtland Sutton was up there for a bunch of weeks. And I kept saying by low and Courtland Sutton. Those are opportunities. But when you're talking about the Jets and then Panthers and all this, that's where the quarterback says, you know what? It's not as important as it might look on paper.
0: I would completely agree, and I think it's a great way to spec. It's I think it's more influential for either betting or DraftKings purposes to find a cheap guy, even like an Elijah Moore. Be like, oh, is this consistent that they're constantly taking deep shots down the field? Like it's almost the same thing with Rager and Quez Watkins. Like who has the higher A dot? Who is seeing the unrealized air yards on this team? Because if they hit, they're going to hit big. It's like Rugs, for example. Like his unrealized air yards must be through the roof. Although he's catching more of them this year, but just when he gets targeted- actually higher last year, was it higher last was- year?
1: He- He was top eight, maybe even top five last year. And that was part of the thing is Derek Carr and him weren't on the same page and he was playing outside primarily as the number one. So again, that's where last year you say, yes, you would hope it would click, but it's not. It's actually clicking this year and it's unrealized air yards have dropped because they're connecting more.
0: What I would say is the reason that it's more valuable in something like DraftKings is you can get paid out when it hits, and you can get paid out right. big if you're right. All it really happens in your season-long lineup is you might win your matchup that week. Chances are you're going to lose your matchup that week if you play that sort of guy on the bad team with the air yards. So, like you said, it's right. it's a part of a puzzle and it can predict future booms in good spots but it's not predictable by any means like in terms of a yeah. consistent basis
1: it's a good it's a good window for looking for buy lows but it's also doesn't mean every single player on that list is a buy low too uh
0: tight ends for week number <laughs> well, it is a tough one because andrews and waller are both on by and the island of foster moreau so even if you had a backup hey, hey, coming re- in
1: remember at the preseason when people tried to play that this year it's going to be better at tight end again i know we've said it for four straight years but I it's feel, happening this year. I actually, I
0: actually feel like it is better at tight end this year like no, there are, i just feel like
1: the top group's a little bit bigger
0: yeah like there's like kelsey's number one pitts is number two uh gisicki's number three because gisicki has been great since t- every game that tua plays gisicki's been awesome <laughs> hawkinson number four goddard ricky seals jones Noah Fant, Dalton Schultz, nope. Ty- Tyler Higbee, and Zach Ertz. You don't like Dalton Schultz?
1: No, I don't like Noah Fant. Uh, Noah, Fant? Noah Fant? Oh come on, Noah because Fant? he's not. He, Noah Fant's fine. completely overrated. No, completely overrated. And, and here's why: because you have Judy back in. If there was no Judy, I'd say fine, keep him there. But Noah Fant is one of the most roller coaster tight ends in all of football. He is exceptionally talented as a player, but it just comes down to he's already a roller coaster, and Judy's not even out there yet. So. If have Judy's back. No, look, look, look at Noah Fant just last week. Noah Fant had another bad game because Noah Fant just isn't guaranteed guaranteed to see volume. Whether Teddy's throwing forty times or twenty times, uh, he's very just honestly he's touchdown slash big game reliant. I know that sounds weird to say, but I think everybody understands what I'm trying to say. I would play Schultz over him, even though we might get Michael Michael Gallup back. Uh, hey, it's, the problem is, is because of this week, you can't push him down that much further. Um, yeah, well, so, I mean,
0: what you were just about to describe about Noah Fant, you can say the exact same thing about Tyler Higby.
1: About Higby, you're right. So that's why I kind of almost hesitated right there. You know, if Andrews is in there, so at, going forward, if, every, if we don't have Waller, <laughs> Andrews, and everybody, those two being out, he's barely even top 10 for me. But I say that just because it was more for what I brought up in the waiver column is to sell high if people still see Noah Fant as like top five. Look at all the potential he has. I just think it's a, it's going to get even worse.
0: Okay, so I'll move him that one spot. I'll move Dalton Schultz up to number seven, Noah Fant to number eight, Higby Ertz, I think Ertz is a touchdown threat in this game Uh, and you're right. You should sell high on Ertz after what we saw. He's fourth in the pecking order which is not bad on the Cardinals. There's worse teams to be the number four on but that's just the way it's going to go and there's going to be situations. Well, I guess Kirk and Rondell Moore kind of trade back between who's like number three. It's it's not like one's number three and one's number four. It's one's number three and the other one isn't used is essentially how that offense ends up going.
1: I think Kirk trades a little bit more with A.J. Green than he does with Rondell Moore. Rondell Moore's been nothing since week two.
0: I would say A.J. Green just very clearly the number two
1: no then kirk is for me and kirk then is just clearly the number three Rondell moore was fifth last week he's he's again he's been nothing since week two
0: Uh, i got cj secret of the uzma at number 11 (laughs) it just seems like another team he can beat up on the the issue with him is like he is the classic he's going to have zero points this week tight end isn't he
1: (laughs) Oh, one or he's 1st or 30th. Yeah. There's no question about it. There's uh, no in-between.
0: I'm actually serious about Fryermuth. Uh, that I think that he's going to have a pretty substantial role in this offense moving forward. He has taken Juju's spot of guy that just lingers near the line of scrimmage and catches passes. It's not going to be 5 for 161 and 2 touchdowns, but it's going to be a lot of like 7 for 43, and hopefully he scores a touchdown.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's uh, it really comes down to is you're gonna get to another name that you haven't brought up yet. I, I don't disagree with that. There's just another name that I was going to bring up as a sidebar. Bob Tunyon. No, Hunter Henry. If no Jono Smith, I would play Hunter Henry in front of Zachary. I put Hunter Henry at ten. If there, ah, I might even play him over t- Tyler Higby. If no Jonnu, do the Jono situation. We're gonna have to wait and see. But if there's no Jono, Henry has kind of been the more consistent option. I got to I got to throw th-
0: I got to throw this out here. I really think the Patriots are terrible. <laughs>
1: What does that say about the Jets?
0: Well, I mean, we know how terrible they are, but like... The one, Like you mentioned earlier, the one thing you can really do against the Chargers is run all over them. We've seen that. And historically, they've been really good against tight ends. And so far this season, they've been shutting down wide receiver ones for the most—or tight end ones for the most part. But maybe that is a part of the field where they are vulnerable in between—over the middle, in between the hashes, up the seams. But I don't know. I just don't see a ton of upside from Hunter Henry here. Like, he kind of has to score a touchdown or—
1: hey. Speaking I would. Ra- I'd rather take Patriots. my.
0: Ch- I'd rather take my chances with Robert Tunyon with no Devontae Adams around as guy who scores a touchdown.
1: No Devontae, I'm sure. Uh, Tunyon has been nothing until last week. He no. legitimately was catching one or two passes. Uh, I was just gonna say, speaking of the Patriots, while we're doing this show, a report. As I was mentioned before, D'Angelo Williams knows what the hell he's talking about from Mike Reese, that the Stevenson situation could be a week to week, whether he's an active or active missed a blocking assignment in week six. The team is not happy with that. There you go. He knows what the hell he's talking about. Yeah,
0: but even if you keep him, what use does he have?
1: No, 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 no. I didn't say I wasn't saying that. I was just saying that, like, if he's active, he might be the number two that week. I was that was just the whole the Billichick not trusting Brandon Bolden thing. All that's right. not that's not. That's not so much Stevenson.
0: It's uh, Uzma, Fryermuth, Kanyon, Tarzan, Dan Arnold, Hunter Henry, <laughs> Tower Conklin, OJ Howard, T.Y. Hilton coming back. Cole Komet, a little bit higher. Cole Komet sucks, man. He's so bad.
1: No, but he's the only one getting volume in that offense.
0: It is. And like, he, But but his, uh, his volume is like, it's still tight end two type stuff. And that's like his upside
1: okay <laughs> i don't really have he, like he, he had that. basically <laughs> the
0: best game he could have last week what do you have like five for 40
1: yeah okay. i'm not disagreeing that much let's just go to quarterbacks all right let's go to quarterbacks
0: <laughs> you got a problem with kyler number one
1: yeah it just goes back to what we said earlier it's just he's not running he doesn't want to run i wasn't expect i talked in the preseason i think it was with Meany or somebody i was like I, I would smash the under in this rushing prop I wasn't expecting it to be this bad. And it's not just the not averaging. He's averaging 2.9 yards per carry because he doesn't want to run and he's not running like he used to, where it's in the middle of the field, is taking these open seams because he doesn't need to anymore. No, but, because but, he but, but
0: hold on, hold on. A lot of it has to do because I'm not super concerned about his lack of yardage. It's now he's not scoring the goal line touchdowns that he had been scoring for each of the past two years yeah, and course, then even at the beginning on top of, of it. the year. But a lot of that has to do with they're just playing really uncompetitive games right now. Like they're blowing everyone out. And when the game is on the line and the game is a little bit closer and they need to score, you're going to see Kyler run a little bit more. Maybe this isn't the week, but I do think well, and sneakily I'm not, green again, Bay kind of keeps up with them.
1: Maybe, but, and I'm not knocking them down this, that far, like this week I would have them third, but I would also, I would honestly have a fourth. I know it's a bad matchup because of how good the saints defense has been, especially since they got Latimore back. But if you just told me, who do I trust? over Kyler Murray now at this point. I know Patrick Mahomes is coming off the seven point game and Murray isn't, but there's three quarter, actually four quarterbacks, one of them's on the bye. I would trust Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, and Tom Brady before Kyler Murray.
0: Yeah, I mean this isn't a discussion really for anyone. If you have Kyler Murray, you're playing him. I would think so. Yeah. Murray, Allen, Mahomes, Hurts, Brady. I think that's a pretty clear top five. Prescott, yep. Herbert, Burrow, Stafford Cousins, I would go. Uh, through ten, then into Wentz, who just he's throwing the ball downfield again. Why not? Against Tennessee. Let's go. Matt Ryan, Aaron Rodgers, Ryan Tannehill, Trevi Lawrence, Danny Fums, the Goof, Mac Jones, Jameis Winston. Tua Teddy. at seventeen. Tua at seventeen.
1: And I, I don't care that it's the Bills. That I, Tua is I going do. to Tua Tua it. not no is gonna continue to throw this game. This team has become pass happy. And against the Bills and what should be a pass happy game, as we just saw last week against the Falcons, which we didn't expect to be a pass happy game for Miami. Even if he turns the ball over, he's turning to pass happy Tua, and you have Parker back in the ranks. There's no way I'm playing Jared Goff over Tua at this point. I'm not. Uh, there, I'm, I'll, I'm I'll just, play just, the two. No I'll
0: play. I'll take that bet this week. You got me last.
1: Is week. that another one? Yeah. You yeah got, another it,
0: one. Was, it was last week or the week before. You had Burrow versus. I think it was Heineke. It was smart. Smart decision yeah. on your part. But I'll take the goof. I'll take the goof over two this week okay stick by that one yeah there's no there's really no way i'd be playing Tua here i think the cutoff is actually ryan Tannehill. i think the top 14 are all really pretty good starts then lawrence and daniel jones kind of in the middle like these upside down their like, own group yeah they're yeah. in their own little mini tier and then it's everyone else <laughs> yeah
1: i don't disagree with you there yeah two would start that mess of quarterbacks that i don't want to start but, yeah, I don't really want to start any of those guys. I'm feeling good about our uh, defense
0: moving forward here. So I got some good D's for you this week. You ready for this? Because I, I cashed big sure. with the Giants last week. They were, they were the— And now that's going to be
1: your number one comment in your things of what you just said. People are going to clip that out and paraphrase that. What? You got some good D's for me. I do. I do got
0: that's some gonna D's. That's going to be— And I, I, I know good your good listeners. <laughs> And you know what I'm like, you know, you know, I'm always dropping my innuendos. I got the Rams at number one bills at number two Eagles at number three, I think rate out really well against the goof. So goof throws, Interceptions, Goof fumbles the ball, Eagles return it for six, and more goof down the field. But bad offensive line versus a really good defensive line in terms of pass rush. So I have the Eagles rated very highly the 49ers against Chicago rate out really well. As do the Bears against the 49ers, who I have at number nine. Uh the Cowboys and Vikings, it's tough to play the Vikings, uh, only because the Cowboys offensive line is so good. But the pass rush for the Vikings has been really good. So overall, Rams, Bills, Eagles, 49ers, Bengals against the Jets, Bucks against New Orleans, the football team against Denver, the Browns. Browns against Pittsburgh, Bears, Cowboys. Then you can go Panthers, Steelers, Cards, Chargers, Broncos, Les Titans, Chiefs, Giants against Kansas City because all they do is turn the ball over. Wouldn't really bank on that one though. Uh, but the the defense has been a little bit better recently. I was stunned at how much pressure the Titans got against Kansas City last week. That blew my mind.
1: Uh, I think as a testament to it's not all Mahomes' fault, and how terrible that offensive line has been this year is that. Yes, Mahomes has been reckless, and it's you get people talk about there the interception regression that you know, there's interceptions you should have had that are they're just coming back, but it's also He is – I mean, the fumble was because he had to take off running on a play that shouldn't have been. Some of the interceptions are because he's rolling out and he's trying to do Patrick Mahomes things, but it's because the offensive line is just doing nothing for him. Uh, So that's why your Giants play of a sneaky one at 18 because they are getting – you just saw it last week, the the pressure they got on Sam Darnold all day long and then Pedro Walker when he came in. I mean, you might get – Patrick Mahomes throwing three fifty and three touchdowns, but it might include an interception and a fumble, or you know, two turnovers or something like that, and a couple sacks.
0: Yeah, I think it's just easier to play the Bears. I may mean, I should put the Vikings in this. Like, where's Dallas Dallas's offensive line right out? I think it's completely healthy now, though, so that becomes a more difficult situation. Dallas's O line already fifth best in pass blocking, so it's really tough to see them doing much of anything. Although, like I said, the the Vikings D has been pretty good, so. that's a tough one but the Bears against the 49ers I don't think many people will play but I mean I guess it really hinges on the health of Trent Williams on the 49ers offensive lineman they couldn't block last weekend either
1: no it's just Jimmy Garoppolo's also not playing well period anyway yeah
0: and I don't know if people will play the Browns against Pittsburgh I feel like I'm logically they, they, would. Sh- they should uh yeah a great d-line versus a bad o-line and ben roethlisberger but i don't know i, I don't know mm. what their ownership percentage is right now
1: there was yeah the week eight they weren't even, they didn't qualify as under 60 percent on yahoo so they weren't even a streaming option i remember checking they're not well, even there
0: well everyone's gonna go stream the bengals this week against the Giants. like that's <laughs> the most, that's the most of logical course. play that's why i have them at number five but i do think that the eagles possess higher upside in this game against the lions that's where I'm at on defenses this week, anyway.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'll let you get out of here, sir. Uh, Jake Sealy at AllInKid on Twitter, TheAthletic.com. Rankings come out tonight at midnight.
1: 12.01 Eastern on Wednesdays. There you go.
0: 2021 Bermuda Championship DraftKings picks and preview, plus my wagers towards the end. If we can find someone to come in second place once again, then... We'll be riding high because that's how it's been going during the swing season for me. I'm not at the Zozo because the Zozo was a disaster. Fortunately, I didn't bet very much because I didn't really want to watch the Zozo in a no-cut event in Japan with no strokes gain stats. That's never a lot of fun. The Bermuda Championship also doesn't have strokes gain stats. Next week at the Mayakoba, also no strokes gain stats, so that's going to be a lot of fun. First thing you need to know about the Bermuda Championship, it's down to 130 players before you submit your DraftKings lineups. Ensure that everyone that you have selected in your lineups is actually going to be in the field. Because as we've seen so far with the Bermuda Championship, they can't get anyone to play in this tournament. It's tough to get to Bermuda. There's not flights going out. Flights were too heavy and guys had to get off, so they got stuck in Charlotte. It's a whole ordeal. I actually jumped on the Ringer podcast, Fairway Rollin, with Nathan Hubbard and Joe House this week to discuss the tournament, plus some stuff from the course of the year, the best shots, the biggest moments, that kind of thing. So go check out Fairway Rollin this week, too. And Kenny and Tambo had a full field breakdown with DraftKings tiers of pricing. This show is going to be a little bit different, so subscribe to the Fantasy Golf Degenerates podcast. Check out the video on Mayo Media Network. Subscribe to the channel, by the way. We're still in the push for 30K. We would like to get there sooner rather than later, and I do want to ask you to smash the like button for the episode, and in the comment section, please leave your favorite 6K golfer at the Bermuda Championship. Uh, You may never have heard of the person before because there's a bunch of creative players in this field that... It's kind of shocking that this is what we're going to. This one is going to be a little bit different. It's just me on this episode, and I'm going to be doing my walkthrough on FantasyNational.com. You don't have Fantasy National yet? You should. FantasyNational.com slash Mayo will get you a discount, 20% discount, off of everything. And let's just jump right into it. So let's go to the DraftKings pricing right now and see what we're dealing with. Uh, as you can see, it's a pretty weak field. Fitzmagic, Magic, Mito. Patrick Reed, Seamus Power, those are your guys above $10,000. When we go back and look at the tournament history of this course you're going to notice two very distinct things we'll go to 2021 and 2020 as they, that's how they're properly allocated if we were to go through this and call it next year it'd be 2020 2022 but this is the 2021 year calendar year so we're good to go essentially what you're going to find at the top is older short accurate hitters who are really good with their wedges and really good at putting Uh, I know that really narrows the field down, but as you can see, like, Brian Gay won. He was third the year before, the year that Brendan Todd won. Ari Eggs, everyone's favorite fake Brit, came in second that year. You know, Scheffler, but then you have, like, Lebiota, Coastal Track, Specialist, Aaron Wise, David Hearn, Fabian Gomez, Ryan Armour. Like, these are all guys that play well at the Rocket Mortgage in Detroit. If you're looking for comp courses for Bermuda, it's super short. It's, like, 6,700 yards, a par 71. You're dealing with... Sony Open, Heritage, Wyndham, Rocket Mortgage, like that type of week, field short course event. This is on, it's just called Grass, I suppose, because it's in Bermuda, but it's on Bermuda Grass, if that's what you're looking for. Kramer Hickok and Denny McCarthy have had some success here. Russell Knox has had a little bit of success here. Russell Knox is going to be very popular this week. I've seen him touted a bunch. I mean, I understand what we're dealing with here, accurate Driver, boom, check mark for him because you want to be an accurate driver, I suppose. Good with your wedges? He's good with his wedges. Can he make some putts? I mean, occasionally he can make some putts, I suppose. But the, and it's going to be gusty. I mean, that is the primary defense of this course is that the wind has to pick up or everyone is absolutely screwed and people are going to go super low. But Russell Knox doesn't have a top five finish since 2017. Like that, that's a rough. Rough scene for old Russell Knox in this circumstance. Like, you can just go back and look. Not that that would disqualify him of playing well at this tournament. I mean, Brian Gay did absolutely nothing before winning this, and this is where the Todd father started kicking it back around and rejuvenated his career. He had been awful coming into this for like the past three years so i wouldn't say that like recent form disqualifies anyone but it's been a been a trek for russell knox he has some cuts made but he never really putts well enough the around the green game is tough are you going to hit every green regulation i suppose not at this tournament so it does seem like where he is shaping up to be very popular this week that i probably end up going with a pass but my point was when you look at it you have the accuracy wedge putting type players not long off the tee whatsoever so that's going to be the lean for a lot of people myself included because you see a lot of these guys inside the top 10 at least from two years ago even from last year you see a very similar type of player but then you have like Wyndham Clark and Ollie Schneiderjans who are just going to try to absolutely gouge the course it's not that the longer players can't win here it's just you don't see a ton of long players in this field I guess would be the issue so when I go and I actually set one up a stat model this week uh, to try to find some guys. Okay, I didn't even apply all the weight. I only played 85% of the weight because I couldn't figure out really what I wanted to do. Essentially, like I said, wedge range and in close. There's a lot of really short holes on this course. Although there, there are three long Par three, so 200 to 225 yard par three. I weighted at 10%. You have 75 to 100, 100 to 125, 125 to 150, weighted at 5, 15, and 15%. Fairways gained at 20%. When I spoke with Joe House, he said he had played this course before, and that being in the fairway and being in the rough really isn't that big of a difference, but it does seem to lean towards the more accurate players doing really well with this course. There's a bunch of short par fours, so 300. 50 to 400 yard par fours coming in at 10%. And I waited putting at 10%. Let's load that in and see what is happening. I bet you it spits out. Well, one of the guys that I bet this week, I know that it spits out because I ran the model before uh, in full disclosure. But Bezadenhout on paper, like when we think about this, is the player that, I, immediately comes to mind for me. So let's see how he rates out. Yeah, over the past 50 rounds, he's number three. Matthew Fitzpatrick coming off a win over in Spain at a very difficult course. Uh, rates number 29th, but obviously a lot of his best work is done on the European tour. Mito is number nine. Then he got like Reed at 34, Seamus Power at 16. And really what I want to be seeing here in the green area is just guys that are really good, basically from 100 to 125. You can be good from that range. You can do a ton of scoring Chad Ramey. Look at that. Only 16 weighted rounds. The putting hasn't really been there. Bizayden how the best putter. We know that can flip week to week, but generally, he's been very good overall. Adam Hadwin's another one who the wedges aren't really there, but the long, the fairways are there. The, long par, the short par fours are there. And the putting has been there. Uh, and the one thing I just find odd about Adam Hadwin when we look at it is just he's priced over these players who I just feel like are, I mean, better form is probably a, a stretch, but... Like, Danny Willett just won the BMW PGA Championship over in England. He's a Masters champion. He's behind Adam Hadwin by $100, especially if it is in windy conditions. I don't love Danny Willett this week, but I just thought that was pretty intriguing. Guido has been kind of tearing it up on the world stage over the past year. He's $8,700. Those are all pretty good prices. Ryan Armour rates out number two uh, on this course, and he's had success here before, too. So let's make some picks. For DraftKings. Uh, when we're at the very top, I do like Bizadenhout. I'm going to try to do the Rick run good cascade method here. I bet Patrick Reed at 22 to 1. I can't get away from that number. It's Patrick Reed in what is essentially like a tier 2 corn fairy event. Come on now. Uh, I don't know if I want to play him a ton on DraftKings because the downside is so low that he might blow up some six of sixes for me. But in the outright betting market, it's Patrick Reed 22 to 1 in a minor league event. Like, we, we bet him 30 to one in majors. What what are we doing here? You might be wasting your money on Patrick Reed because he is absolutely not right. Or he's by far the best player in this field and smokes everyone. And it's not like he doesn't have wins at some of the courses that I was talking about. He's won at the Wyndham Championship before. Uh, the Amex is probably another one that you can look at. He's won that tournament before. The sneaky one to probably go to outside of Rocket Mortgage is also probably Travelers, just be based on length of the course. So that is another one. That we can look at i want to go back to tournament history just for one second we'll sort by strokes gain total And let's see, Brian Gay, first and third. Ryan Armour, eighth and eighth. Libiota 16th and third. David Hearn, Kenejian, eighth and eighth. Then you have McCarthy, two top 15s. Kramer Hickok, two 15s. And full disclosure, I bet Kramer Hickok this week at 80 to one with the top five each way. Russell Knox, he's also up there, 16th and an 11th for him. So you have some guys that have just performed well year over year. I guess the one other thing that we could look at uh, a little bit after, I'll jot this down, is Bermuda grass putting and to see if anyone really hops off the page to me. So it's going to be out for me. The issue is if you're going to pay up at the top this week on DraftKings, like you have absolute jabronis down in the $6,000 area. Maybe you can find someone you really like, like Sam you know, Scott Brown tends to play well in these events. You can see the Chase Seifert um, yeah, he's very good at the short par threes, or short, short par fours, sorry. He's very good from 100 and in. I don't know if you really want to be going to him in this spot, but when we sort by the rankings, maybe we just let Fantasy National do the work on everything that i've kind of pointed out here let's see what ben ben rate sixth in the modeling i don't know when these rounds are from but he's at sixty four hundred dollars he would fit ideally with the type of player that has won this event before he's really in the brian gay zone when it comes down to the type of player that he is let's see hey, he was 18th in bermuda last time that they played here of course he was uh eighth in puerto rico so he's doing okay 33rd at corrales in the Caribbean swing, I guess the Bermuda is it in the Caribbean. I feel like it's more in the Atlantic, just off the coast of South Carolina. Anyway, it's, it's the only one that's in the t- same time zone that I actually live in, but we haven't seen Ben Crane since the 3M Open. Now, some of these guys have played the Corn Ferry playoffs. They've been playing over in Europe, but it's curious to see that he hasn't had any status whatsoever for any of the events. Chris Stroud is another one who I, I always get confused with Brian Stewart anyway. Let's see how Chris Stroud has been doing. Not great probably sets him up perfectly to win here rbc heritage 28th that was in 2020 oh boy has not been a good go we haven't seen a whole lot of chris stroud he played the the Fort the 40 net championship and that was his first one since sanderson firms the year before that on the pga tour that's uh not a great look for old chris stroud so swing back up to the top zayden how it's going to be my guy I think Hadwin's going to end up being very popular. We'll check in on the ownership percentages here in a second. There's probably not a ton to draw from, honestly, uh, mainly because it's so early in the week. I'm recording this on a Tuesday morning. I'll have my entire betting cheat sheet in the Mayo Media newsletter if that's something that you do want to go subscribe to right now. And I'm just going to try to play the numbers as good as possible here. It looks like Seamus Power sets up really well. I could see getting behind that. Where are we going to go here? Chad Ramey, man captain ramius really good from inside here let's see what these 16 rounds are from so the shriner sanderson's farms and the 40 net from this year he has been really good from this like specific wedge range he tends to hit a bunch of fairways not great on these short ones not great i guess the putting kind of goes either really good or really poorly round by round but i can see why he's rated up there so maybe we'll put him on the short list pendrith uh just got married over the weekend i found this out based on my facebook feed as someone i knew was at his wedding as it turned out didn't hear it reported. It, but i I'm, I'm reporting it right now he got married like two weeks ago so i guess this is his first tournament maybe he's using bermuda as a honeymoon too like good enough to fade for me he's not the type of player that i want matthias schwab is the type of player that i want i just do not trust matthias schwab to make enough putts to win a tournament so i think where i'm actually gonna go uh, i'm gonna keep riding t gala i mean Dietrich's right there that's oh that, that's very intriguing to me uh only because he's such a good player in a field like this you think that class could really overcome. But I'll go with T. Gala and Guido at 88 and $8,700. bombs, not necessarily the type of player that I want. David Lipsky is, though. Look at these wedges. I don't know if he can make the putts required, but at $8,000, a pivot right off of Bramlett and Ryan Armour is probably pretty nice for Lipsky, who overall is probably a. I mean, he's, I don't know if he's a better player than Bramlett, but he's probably a better player than Ryan Armour at this point. Although Ryan Armour has the two top tens at this course in the past, and that would be sort of the intriguing part for me with them. See, Russell Knox, yeah, the wedge range absolutely kills it. You can see why he's going to be popular. That's just going to be a full-on fade for me, uh, just based on popularity. I have him and Hadwin as two of the most popular players this week. So in a field like this with such weirdness going on that i'll probably take a pass on that austin Ekarat, a guy that i never really go to i mean look at these wedge ranges that is just amazing let's fire him up at 7500 dollars. libiota too how has libiota been doing how's dylan fratelli been doing another really good player with his wedges See, LeBiota, ever since his really hot run with the putter, has missed four consecutive cuts. Okay, perfect leading form for the Bermuda. And Fratelli missed at Shriners, missed at the 40 net and was 39th at the Sanderson Farms. The issue is when we start looking at the recent form for a lot of these guys, it's not gonna be good at all because most of these guys aren't that good. And that's a real issue. And maybe you want to like lean with your gut on some of these. Like, I'm gonna play Graham McDowell. Graham McDowell loves coastal courses. That's his jam. It's like Aaron Wise. I don't know where he's at in his career. They'd be pretty good. But now he made his last two cuts over on the European tour. That's about as good enough for me as we're going to find. If Duffner could putt, watch out, because this would be a perfect tournament for him. I think I'm going to go with Duffner anyway at $7,200. Let's see how he's been doing so far in the new season. Off the D been good. Nah, the approaches haven't been as good, but in close as we've seen been pretty good. He's only played once, came forty second. You know, he tends to be a cut maker. He puts himself he gives himself enough birdie opportunities that it's not gonna be the craziest thing in the world, even when he starts missing his two-foot putts. So he'll just have enough opportunities, hopefully, that he can sneak himself through the weekend. I love Brian Stewart this week, although he has not played well with this course in the two years. He does seem like the perfect fit. He's going to hit every fairway. He's great for being close with his wedges, and he makes a ton of putts. That I bet him at 80-1. to 1. He's probably my favorite bet this week, although he's probably going to come in dead last now. But come on brian stewart on bermuda grass on a short course that's like the only time that you can play brian stewart and he's only 7100 dollars. i don't care how popular he ends up getting that's where i'm gonna go Svensson actually rates out pretty well here let's see how he's been doing since his return i mean the proximity was not good at shriners he was just bad at shriners The Fortinet, Uh, okay, maybe we pass on old Adam Svensson. It looks like a lot of old data from him. That's always important to go check your round-by-round data, too. Uh, Brian Gay, not currently in Bermuda, as we're recording this. He's stuck in Charlotte, so you have to make sure that he actually gets there uh, at the same time before we do anything. I bet, and I'm playing Kramer Hickok. Uh, That's more of a course history, pure putter type of play. The putting hasn't been really good recently, uh, but he did spike that playoff at Travelers. He's played well at this course in the past. So that seems you, know, you have to make really marginal choices when it comes down to it this week. Another guy I really like is actually Camilo Vigegas. To answer the question in the comment section, I like Vigegas a lot this week. So much that I've already bet Camillo Vigegas this week at 100 to 1. Uh, I like him on Bermuda. I like him on windy tracks. I like him on short tracks. This is all kind of sets up really well for him. Hopefully his game can come through enough that we can get it. Oh, Ludwig Adberg. I don't know who that is. He's got to be from Austria, right? If his name is Ludwig, let's see. Oh, he's Swedish. Swedish amateur. Okay. He won two events in the Professional 2020 Nordic Golf League and the 2001 Amateur Tournament Jones Cup Invitational and is the number one European amateur right now in April, as of April 2021. All right. Ludwig Adberg. Here we go. Probably not going to play him. Rather play Camillo Bajegas. Oh, Patrick Flava Flavin's in the field. Uh, Barjan withdrew. So there's, like I said, there's a bunch of guys who are still listed in the DraftKings system and on Fantasy National until we do a full update once the field becomes finalized that you might want to be a little bit wary of. Oh, Von Taylor rates out really well too. Okay, let's play Von Taylor at 6,800 bucks. Maybe we can fit in two high-end guys. Yeah, you know, like I said, Barjan is out. Kitayama, I know. Mean, I'll probably take a pass on Kitayama. Who else? Let's just go and make sure that we're not missing anyone down here. Svensson, like I said, rates out well, but those are really old numbers. I've sorted these by past 50 rounds overall. Anyone else leap out here? Lingmurth, those are probably really old rounds. Olin Brown, good God. I'm pretty—how old is Olin Brown? I'm going to guess that he's 56 years old. He may or may not even be playing at this point. He's 62. Okay, Olin Brown, there we go. Owen okay. Brown came T5 at a seniors event on May 2nd when he lost to Mike Weir and John Daly at an event. Okay. Owen Brown. Let's, let's have it. Who else from down here? So where are his rounds actually being drawn from? Back like when he played to 2020 Charles Schwab, he played, missed the cut, played the 2018 Barbasol, 2014. Uh, 2009 is still included in his past 50 rounds In <laughs> his past 50 rounds goes all the way back to 2006 so yeah we probably don't need to pay much attention to olin brown let's sort this now by past 24 rounds to see if it gives us anything a little bit different uh to see if we can find someone who's maybe heated who's been better with their wedges recently or who has and although i don't plan on playing 150 lineups hell i don't even play in feel like playing 20 lineups this week. So we'll see how that ends up going. We just sort by rank. Mito. Man, Mito's up there, isn't he? Oh, that's gonna be a tough one. Oh, Mark Hubbard. When I spoke to Nathan, he he wasn't like big enough big up in his brother all that much. So this actually seems like a pretty good event for him. Let's see john deere he's made six cuts in a row on the pga tour did not play well at rocket mortgage yeah i think we probably have to add mark hubbard i'm 7900 is not a great price but uh, like as a pivot off of ryan armor who continues to rate out well no matter what we do and so does russell knox but how boner jams at 6100 bucks good for him glad to see him back Yeah, might have to go with mito i think a lot of people will go actually let's just check in on the ownership right now now that we have a, at least six guys starred in it let's see matthew fitzpatrick 33 percent. wow and mito is only coming in at 16 right now again these are very rough estimates of what's going on as you can see bezadenhout um is actually his calculated ownership and mito's calculated ownership is higher than fitzpatrick although for the people that have generated lineup so far that's only 867 people as i record this it does appear like bezadenhout and mito are being not being spat out in that same sort of deal all right so here's a way here's this is probably better to look at more contrarian plays this week uh because i I think that the you probably give or take 10 percent on some of these ownerships at this time of the week but the really really low ones are likely to continue to be really really low matthias schwab three percent i mean maybe i'll i will end up playing him because accuracy wedges Pray he can make some putts. That's likely the way to go. Like Hadwin at 19% versus Willett, even Pendrith at 3%. I I don't love Pendrith here. I just don't think that he hits his irons well enough at an elevated price. I think when you can get him at a cheap price, he can do enough scoring to really come through for you. But I don't love this one. Dietrich at 2.3%. Let's look up some Thomas Dietrich to see how he's been doing in the world stage lately. Official world golf rankings Thomas Dietrich he is the 83rd best player in the world outside of the dutch open where he came t4 it's been a really rough go for him all right so i can see why lots are fading him right now although if you did want to just Go with, hey, who's a really good player and get behind that? Dietrich is there. I mean, T. Gala, who I do have started is going to be very highly owned, as it appears. I guess Mark Hubbard is going to be very highly. Owned. I'm going to unstar Mark Hubbard. Go with David Lipsky. Yeah, he is most definitely the pivot play here. Everyone's on armor. Everyone's on Hubbard. Everyone's on Nick Hardy. Everyone's on Russell Knox. Everyone's on Hank Lebiota. Everyone else kind of in between is going to have super low ownership. Like Nick Watney, 0%. I don't even know if he's there or not. What are you line Uline's interesting to me. If this course plays a little bit tough, uh, I mean, I have no recollection of how he is playing and how he isn't playing, because again, we're dealing with the Bermuda Championship. Putts really well on Bermuda. That's um, that's a plus. Uh, the Fortnite lost on his approaches. Okay. Let's see what else Peter Uline is doing. Uh played pretty well through the Corn Ferry playoffs. Nothing crazy. T two in Utah before that. T six on the Corn Ferry Tour. All right, not the craziest thing in the world, but I don't know if I'm going to get to him or not. Who are the chalk guys down low? Cameron Percy, Bo Hogue, Bo Hostler. There's Stewart and David Hearn. They're in the lower end of this, though. Uh, I would expect Stewart's ownership to probably get up a lot. Oh, Von Taylor, 24% in lineups right now, 11% calculated ownership. might be a pretty decent fade then if that ends up being the case. Who was the other guy? I liked Vigegas was the other one who was right there. All right, I think that... uh, we're pretty good here. i got to pick someone else at the top, I think, because if I try to generate some lineups, it's not going to give me exactly what I want to do. I'm good with fading Matthew Fitzpatrick. I'm good with fading Patrick Reed. So I think it comes down to, like, Mito, Seamus, Matthias Schwab. What it was Captain Ramius? What was he up to? Ramey, 10%. That's a- so weird how people decide to go with this stuff. Uh, being, like being contrarian this week is probably a good play but not absolutely everywhere as we have seen similar players do well at this course over the years and sometimes for the bigger type players in these like caribbean or island events you know if they just want to party a little bit and they, they don't really care all that much uh, we've seen that with pat perez we've seen that with henrik stenson over the years where even if they make the cut they're like nah i'm gonna get out of here don't worry about it oh this is this, this will get you into the masters if you win because this is usually across from wgc china but they don't have that event anymore surprised danny mccarthy isn't even higher owned than 15 percent. i would i would expected him to be pretty good what about jagabombs 0.6 how's he been doing missed at shriner's Sanderson, Fortnite. Man, the guy puts the lights out, doesn't he? Then nationwide, Boise and Pinnacle, fourth, fourth, second. Let's go take a look, a easier look at that in order. Maybe end up going to Steven Yeager if literally no one wants to play him. I mean, could you do worse? Yeah, you could do worse, I think. Yeah, through the Corn Ferry playoffs, fourth, fourth, second. 26 at sanderson which would be a a pretty decent comp for this one if he's going to put the lights out he's probably live let's chuck him in the player pool too let's go Yaga bombs you're on the team and he continues to be a pretty good pivot from the hubbards of the world the armors of the world the bramlets of the world i wish i could go back to hago but he looks broken at the moment. He was terrible at the Zozo. A lot of guys were terrible at the Zozo. But it's been a while. Basically since he won in Palmetto and went through his double win in the Canary Islands. Uh it's been all downhill for him. Uh hopefully he can recapture his game. Because I really like Garrett You know, he's only twenty-one or twenty-two years old. So uh, I think that he'll get his game back. It's just not currently there at the moment. All right, how many players do I have, started Twelve? Yeah I could probably play ten 10 to 15 lineups with 12 guys. After I add in either, I'll select Mito for the moment. Actually, you know what? I'll select Schwab for the moment as a contrarian play. But Bezadenhout is going to be my big building block for the week. I don't like his betting odds. He's only in at 12 to 1. I suppose I should go through the bets for the week as we go through this. I bet Patrick Reed at 22 to 1. I dislike that a lot. Oh, you know who I didn't end up going with? Let's go back to DraftKings just for one second uh, because I totally forgot him. Ted Potter Jr., I'm playing at 6,100 bucks. Boom, easy game. Uh, He has been god-awful coming in. This is the perfect type of TPJ event. TPJ, I had three missed cuts in a row. Woo! Just heating up at the right time. He's 350 to one. That's actually probably the better play. I'm not going to use a ton of Ted Potter Jr., but at a score fest with wedges like... He's won PGA events in the past. So that's what he can say over a lot of people. So the bets, and I will have the cheat sheet in the newsletter out on Tuesday evening. You can also find the link to the spread show in there as well. But it's going to be Patrick Reed, 22 to one for the bets. Then I'm going Brian Stewart. 80 to one with the top five each way. Camillo Vejegas, 100 to one with the top five each way. Kramer Hickok 80 to one with the top five each way. Ted Potter Jr. 350 to one with the top five each way. I believe those are all the ones that I have in. I also bet Ted Potter first round leader. As well. I'm just gonna go check out what I've done here so far. I'm gonna log in to see what my bets are. I made them all on like Monday night as I was doing prep for this, and just to make sure I didn't leave anyone off the card. But once again, you can find everyone up there. Ted Potter Jr. Brian Stewart, Ted Potter Jr., Camillo Vejegas, Kramer Hickok, and Patrick Reed. Feel like that's that seems like enough to invest. In this tournament although i can be talked into someone else guido's odds are like pretty spicy i think guido is like 50 to 1 i might have to get on that just so i don't get a case of fomo as we go through it where is he at now now i don't even see him on the list now 55 to 1 for guido let's do it yeah yeah guido let's go guido let's go see how that goes 55 to 1 top five each way along with him as well so i think that's probably going to end up being the six pack I Maybe mean, we need to bring back the six pack for this year those are going to be the six we got a favorite from the top someone in the mid-range and then just a bunch of bombs down the list Stewart's probably going to be like my pick though like when i write it up in golf digest i would anticipate brian stewart being one of the top end guys although he has failed to make the cut here i believe the past two years let me just go look up brian stumanji for a second where's that tournament history type in stewart now yeah, he was t51 and then he was cut a year ago. So hopefully you can come through for me at the Bermuda Championship. Thank you for watching. Once again, Kenny and Tambo on the Fantasy Golf Degenerates have a full field breakdown. If you want some alternate views on the Bermuda Championship, I'm on Fairway Rolling this week on the Ringer Podcast Network. And remember to subscribe to the Mayo Media Network, both on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, or if you're an audio listener, or on YouTube to help us push to 30,000 subs. Smash on your way out and subscribe to Fantasy National slash mayo to get yourself 20% off. Good luck this week at the Butterbean Bermuda Championship. I'll see you next
1: time.